0: Ago, I threw in a little bit about my, my life as it pertains to the intermarriages of my sons. My three sons have married into different nationalities. One has married a Dutch girl, one has married a half Sicilian Irish girl and one has married a Filipino girl. It creates angst sometimes in the family. And the very ones of us who complain about racism practice reverse racism. But I want to inform us today that Jesus' will for us is that we will be a people of all nations. I am led to believe that God does not make mistakes. We may misinterpret life, but God doesn't. As we celebrate black history, one of my granddaughter, who's the only person of color, in her class she's only seven but she leads mlk day several years in a row she's educated her class of all white children about who martin luther king is For the entire month of black history over several years, she has taken from her quite a large collection of books on black heroes. And when she doesn't read them herself, she insists that the teacher read to the class because after all, it is black history. I don't know whether they have books of that nature in their library at the school. But she does have an extensive library in her bedroom of black folks that I have only begun to learn about by visiting her. Tuesday night, Valentine's, I was sitting in a restaurant in the East End with some white folks all around looking at us as if we're aliens. Especially so, because we're a mixed family. and My little granddaughter popped up from underneath the table (laughs) to excitedly tell me what she learned that day about Viola Desmond. She said, Gigi, you know there's a black woman for the first time on the Canadian $10 bill. I couldn't remember. But my dear granddaughter reminded me she's only six years old. As I sat there, I wondered to myself, if I had just pure black grandchildren who are of Caribbean descent, would they have been so eager to learn and would their parents take the extra steps to learn about blackness and black? history. I believe that they're going to be the pioneers of the future, to shed a light on the injustices that they see, to stand in the gap for those who can't speak for themselves. Perhaps God knew what he was doing. He always knows what he's doing, and that is why we should be careful to question his providence and his will. A few years ago, I was walking through the park with them. I didn't know one of them could read. And as we're walking through the park and they had these signs up, I heard one of them says, if you see something, say something, do something, I believe those were the words of John Lewis. And I said, who says those words? He says, John Lewis. I thank you, Lord, because they're the future. I sense a fight in them for social justice and, you know, striving to fixate their identity on their blackness even though it's only a half percent 50% (laughs) or maybe more because I too am blended and proud of it I have grandparents who hail from Nigeria descent Irish descent British descent I'm all blended And so are all of us, in our own ways. And that's Jesus' plan. He came to save the whole wide world, neither black nor white. In fact, according to the Bible, there really is no race, just a human race. Apostle Paul says that God has infused in all of us the same blood, or the one blood, God has created humanity. The injustices we see along the color line is not of God. It's evil. It is wicked. And whether it's about Ukraine and Russia or countries where they're fighting civil wars, we should always be concerned about acts of violence because it is of the devil. We renounce it wherever we see it. Even when it's in our family, we should renounce it because division and and evil divides. But when love exists, there is unity, bond of fellowship, and oneness. That should be our aim. Our theme is destiny, awaken the call past few days, uh, weeks, we've been looking at different angles of this theme. And today, I want us to talk about taking up the mantle. What is interesting about taking up the mantle is quite often the people who have answered the call had no desire or intention to answer any call. They're just doing life. They're just living like my grandkids. positioned to make a difference and sometimes we don't even know and so the progenitor of the story of Exodus Moses that we've been looking at over the past of the few weeks is still the hero of the faith and I reminded you that it was said that there is none greater than Moses in all of Scripture until Jesus came. Moses was the man. But the the, the thing about Moses as we look at his life, it almost seems unsettling that he did not know that he was not prepared for his moment. He must have heard how his parents put him in a basket and sent him adrift in a river hoping that he would be speared from the onslaught of Pharaoh's anger against all the firstborn sons of the Hebrew people. He must have sensed something in his spirit when he attacked and killed the Egyptian who was beating to pulp one of his own people. But somehow between that desire to make a change and make a difference He met opposition from his own people. And he fled into the wilderness and found himself living among Midianites. It is easy for after 40 years living away from your people to feel a sense that I don't belong anywhere. I can't go back. (laughs) There's no going back. Because if I go back, I can't go back and be an Egyptian because I've committed a crime against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And I can't go back to my people because really, they don't really want me. But God shows up. Just when Moses was feeling like he's a nobody, a cast out, a fugitive, and a murderer, have committed crimes that he's ashamed of, God showed up because that's how God works. And if you go on to look at chapter four of Exodus, I'm just gonna pick up a portion of that. Exodus four, ten to seventeen. And it says, But Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, <laughs> I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth and teach you what you shall speak? But he said, oh Lord, please send Someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be your mouth. And with his mouth. I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff. Which you shall do the signs the call of Moses reminds me and us that our destinies quite often may not follow a prescribed course we may in fact be caught as dr. King says In a single garment of destiny. We're not uh, obligated to the next generation to help them realize their agency. We cannot afford to sit on our hands and make excuses for why we should not go where God wants us to go. Our job is to say Whatever your servant is listening. You, God, lead the way. But we're flesh after all. And so like Moses, whenever we hear God calling us and telling us to come to him because he wants to use us, quite often we'll say, send someone else. Let the old people do it. And some of the old people will say, let the young people do it. But there is never a time a season in our lives where we should not be a people of destiny. Every single one of us have been given a mandate to make a difference in the world. Whether we realize it or not, your everyday action will have an impact And an influence on someone. Someone. You may say, but Pastor James, I don't go out. I don't work. I don't mix with people. But you do WhatsApp. Sometimes you pick up the phone. Sometimes you text a friend. What if in those little interactions, God is speaking through you? what power you would have to change another's life impact impact because you see god is constantly using mouths i believe the greatest tool that we have through which god can use us is language it's our mouths we may not be able to take a flight and go to ukraine or parts of Africa or wherever, to feed the hungry or Haiti. But our words can impact the people around us and the next generation. Our words can inspire or tear down. Our words can build up or destroy. Our words can create bridges or create bridges. We have more power in the tongue than we realize James in his amazing um, soliloquy about the tongue. He says the tongue is a mighty force. It's a great fire. It can heal, but it can kill and it can destroy. The tongue is a powerful resource that God can give us. And here's Moses saying to God, but God sent someone else. But God You know that I can't speak properly. I'm not eloquent. And God says, Moses, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? You see, all of our our insecurities and all of our maladies and all of our not enough, God knows them. He knows them. He sees every stutter. He knows when you get up here and your mouth is dry because you're really are feeling afraid because not everybody who's in your hearing is going to help you preach. But you still got to do the job because God designed you for it and called you for it. There are times in your journey when you're asked to speak up and speak out and you hold back and it can have deadly consequences. And sometimes the death is not necessarily physical death. But sometimes we cause each other to stumble because we're so afraid. You know, sometimes we just want everybody to like us. Have you ever met managers like that? They're managing a a, a corporation or a unit or whatever. And they're people that require discipline on the job. There are people who need to be fired completely from the job. Have you ever been in environments like that? Yes. Oh my gosh, toxic people. I remember working in this one establishment and my first day I'm trying to sort out the scopes, you know, uh, the, the, the different scopes that they push down in people, endoscopy. And you know, I'm new. And I had this one scope for this one procedure because we use different scopes for different procedures. And I'm stuffing one of the scope in a a, a bin with all my prep stuff for a particular pet client. And this woman, she's white. What are you doing? She grabs my school. <laughs> that don't belong to you. and she just carried on. I let it pass, but it was persistent, it didn't stop, and the poor beautiful young manager just couldn't handle her, Italian girl, and I watched as things deteriorated, and I watched this beautiful girl, she was half our age. Half this woman's age. And I watched as she was just being pulled down in her leadership. She was a good manager. And one day, all hell broke loose, as they say. And the F words and the this and the that was carrying on right in front of the clients. Because you see, when you don't stop a bad habit, it grows. And she went to the locker room and she sat and she cried. Because she too started swearing. And I said, why did you allow this woman to pull you down to her level? Well, she knew I was praying for her. Because I always say that to her at the end of every shift. I'm praying for you. I affirmed her. And that day in the locker room, I grabbed her and I prayed over her. I said, don't let them pull you down. Don't let them pull you down. You see, the problem is all of these people, when they know that there's a a vacancy for the manager's job or the resource nurse job, some of them been there 30, 40 years. There's, There's a vacancy and they don't apply. And some young girl comes with her degrees and all of that and she applies and they make up in their mind that they're going to lead from the sidelines. And if she thinks that she's going to lead this team. She's got some coming for her. Because we're going to show her. Now the audacity is that they did not have the courage to apply for these jobs. But every person who comes to the unit and applies for that job. They're going to, they're going to pull them down. Moses had the same problem. If we fast forward in Moses's life, you see, you got to realize your destiny. And when God had implanted in Moses that you're the man, in spite of his flaws, in spite of his issues, he went on the mission. He comes into Egypt with his his brother Aaron by his side. He's a force to be reckoned with. Not because he's all that, but because he's got God on his side. Because God promised him, when you go into Egypt, I will be with you. I'm never going to leave your side. It's not just Moses, it's this going. It's Moses, Aaron, and God. And you will speak in front of the mighty Pharaoh, and you will tell him, let my people go the Moses that left that mountain and arrived in Egypt was a totally different guy the guy that says I can't I can't I can't as he got into Egypt he discovered through the rod and the voice of his brother that he could that he can And the word of God tells us that after one plague after another and one wrestling with the Pharaoh, God said, enough is enough. I'm going to kill every firstborn of Egypt. Pharaoh will let my people go. And you know the story. But here's what happened now. Moses is leading a people out of Egypt. That is where the problem began. The problem was not just about Pharaoh and his armies. Because you see, God had conquered in that moment. The trouble begins now, is when Moses is trying to lead his own people. Do you know black people have a problem? Do you know we have a problem? That is standing in the way of our progress? Because you see, there is an injury that had happened to us in slavery. It's called fear and mistrust. It is why Haiti is still post-slavery, full of pain and violence. Because people have not learned to trust. What we learn about Haiti is that Haiti is mostly made up of people from various nations of Africa. And this is what happens sometimes when people from different countries mix. We don't trust them Garrett people, you know. We ain't trust them Jamaican, you know. You don't trust them Ghanaian people, you know. And then we start pitting against each other. This is what was happening as Moses is leading them through the wilderness a journey that was to take 40 days. It's time and the future and the progress and the ingenuity and the impact and the industry is inhibited. Not because God hadn't set them free, but because they spend too much time complaining and arguing and fighting among themselves and give Moses headache. It's still happening today. I remember when we started this church, we're trying to invite certain people. And one beautiful woman said, I'm not joining all you. Not joining all you. Black people can't do nothing. So she stick with the white church. And we may say, well, at the time I thought, oh my gosh. But the longer I live, the more I get to understand what she's talking about. Because we are our own worst enemy. We are positioned in such a way that we could build a great city and empire. We're positioned in such a way that our young people and the next generation could rise up and look back and call us blessed. Because we've taken up the mantle and we've led well. But we create our own barriers for success. Barriers that are birthed in fear and mistrust. Barriers, I mean, even President Obama, even though he made it to the White House, many of the people who objected to him are black people. He's not black enough. He's not white enough. He's like Moses. I'm not Egyptian enough. I'm not Hebrew enough. Oh, that we would understand that for every generation, God is calling out people to serve him, regardless of what our pedigree is. When God calls you and he gives you agency, just do it. You know, I like to tell stories. When we came to Canada first, my husband was on his own for a while there. He had a good savings going, waiting for me to come. He Even had investment in gold, till I show up. Marriage cost. Slowly but surely, I, you know, Life happens, children come, and all of that. I remember we were trying to buy a home. We went to Scotiabank, where he had all his savings. They weren't interested in giving us a mortgage. Went back again. They still weren't interested in giving us a mortgage. They went back. There was this black lady. This is why I don't, I, don't, I don't question where people are from. See, we, we, we have this thing in us like, which island are you from? I don't care what island you're from. Those things are irrelevant. God placed you in places where you can make a difference. This young lady, she says, I see you're having a bit of a problem, but there's a way. There's a way. I want to help you. I want to help you. She said, Scotiabank have a subsidiary called National Trust. Any you remember National Trust? She may not get a mortgage here, but National Trust will give you a mortgage. And she set us up. That's how we got our first mortgage. Because someone was positioned to help someone of their own kind. If that is our posture, that God has destined us to be in certain spaces and time for the moment, act. Do something. Help one another. Help your people. I remember when I worked at a long-term care. I was a nurse manager there. Some of the sisters would come in for their shift late. And they would scurry in. I said, don't worry, relax, i already fix your cart, PSWs. I said, oh my gosh, thank you. I said, I've been where you are. You see, sometimes when we get elevated, we don't look back to see where we came from. And we get on our high horse, and we treat people like garbage, and forget that we too came through the same scenarios. You understand what I'm saying? Doing the two jobs, running from one to the other, leaving your children at home, having to take a break and spend your lunch hour trying to convince them to do their homework. And all of that, we should always remember where God brought us from so we can help each other up, take the stress off of each other, not add stress to our lives. Moses, I would say, had a lot of issues. When you think you're finished with Pharaoh, you know you got to work with your own people. And here's what happened. You know the story. A little bit of that slave attitude perhaps followed them along the way. They said, Moses, you bring us out here to starve us. When we remember the leek and the garlic and all the things we used to have down in Egypt, you expect us to be contented, Moses? Well, we're not happy. We might as well go back. Egypt Moses gets angry he gets the first set of tablets he comes down and they have conspired against his leadership whatever happened to Aaron we don't know but Aaron as well seemed to have forgotten his purpose his calling his mission when Moses comes down he sees the children of Israel doing every evil thing that you can imagine and the worst of all idolizing a golden calf that they made from their jewelry. When Moses saw the spectacle, all he could do was get mad and angry. Broke up. Now, anger comes out of slavery too. Anger comes out of George Floyd's death. We live with anger every time we encounter racism. We we, we encounter fear. How many of you know that it's not of God? It is not of God. Fear is not of God. He does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Moses figured, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. God, this mission is too much for me. Bam! He breaks up the the tablet. And we know that God is also an angry God. Now, God's anger not only kindled against Moses, it was kindled. In fact, he said to Moses, you go down and see what a mess they've become. It is so easy to disintegrate into the worst forms of canality when we're not of an obedient heart and listen to God. We'll be shocked at what we can accomplish and become when we're not yielded to the wisdom of God. Do you know what God did? God said to Moses, that's it, Moses. I regret that I even brought them out of Egypt. Just, I'm just going to kill all of them. Moses was a great leader. A great leader knows how to negotiate. He sees that the situation is out of his control. It's, de- it's, it's es- de-escalating. He says, God, you know what? just see who's on your side and the rest just kill them, do whatever you want to do so Moses called them over, the ones who obedient to God's will the rest, they died Moses is going on in the journey they complain they have no food to eat Moses prayed to God and God said, don't worry Moses, tell the people I'm going to feed them. And give them these commands because it's going to rain bread, manna. And they're going to get meat, quail. But they must follow certain rules and guidelines surrounding these. They were happy. They could pick up manna by day. Quail flying everywhere, roasted chicken, and bread. What could be better than that? (laughs) Have you ever had quail? Delicious. As a matter of fact, I didn't know much about what birds name when I was a kid, but we used to kill a lot of birds when I was a child and roast them. Roast all them little bones and just chew on them. And they were good. I could have done well in the wilderness. Couldn't you? But I wasn't good enough for them. They break all the rules around the man. They start to get smelly and stink because they weren't supposed to store it. Then they complain again. Further along the way, this is now in the 40 year period now because they already missed the window of exit, which was supposed to be 40 days. But because of their constant grievances and complaining, the, the, the short journey has now been extended into 40 years. And during that time, of course, they had issues, water run out. Moses is pleading to God again on their behalf. Over and over, over and over, Moses is praying to God. God says to him, You know, there's a rock there at Meredith. When you go over, I just want you to speak to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, water will come out. They get to the rock. And the people start grumble. Of course. The Bible put it mildly, but I'm sure it was a, more worse than that. Moses, you don't know what you're doing. You're a joke. You're going to make us thirst and die out here in this wilderness, in this hot sun. God told Moses, speak to the rock. You know, leadership is tough. Sometimes you don't want to speak. Moses got so angry that instead of him saying, water come out of your rock, he took that rod that was given him authority and performing miracles, and instead of speaking to the rock, he took the rod and he walked the rock. But God, but God, God took Moses' anger and transferred it into grace and water came and they were filled that day. But God never forgot that Moses disobeyed. It's not so much about the anger and the striking of the rock. It's because Moses disobeyed. You know, sometimes as a leader, people won't always follow you. Sometimes your parents may not even understand you. But if God is telling you to do something, do it. When I was a child, we had a headmistress who said to us, all of you one day are going to grow up and be leaders wherever you land in the world. Her name was Mrs. Ivy Lovin. She was the headmistress of my school, TOR Memorial in Antigua. She predicted it, that every one of her students were going to be leaders wherever they landed in the world. And one of the things she told us, when you have been given the mantle of leadership, when you've been given the mantle of leadership, you rise to it. It doesn't matter, even if it's your parents. Take your stand. She didn't tell us how hard that was going to be, though. When you see injustice and you act and you say something and you do something, it will cost you. It could cost you a reputation and it could cost you your life. It could cost you friends and it could make you enemies. It didn't take long for that to happen to me went into nursing at 17. I was young, younger than most of the people that were in my group. Shortly thereafter, we had a situation. One of the students were dismissed, and I just happened to have been the president of the nurses, Student Nurses Association. She came to me, she said, they kicked me out of school. I was like, how is that possible? It was a minor offense, but back then, those sisters in those hospitals, they ruled, and they wielded power. So they kicked her out, called my dad. I said, I'm the president of the Student Nurses Association, which he knew. This situation has come up. What should I do? And he starts rattling off all kinds of laws to me about apprenticeship program and this point O and that point O of bylaws, which I had no idea about. He says they can't do that. I said, but they just did. And here's the clincher. The matron, who's the head of the nursing organization of the the hospital, was my cousin. So because she was my cousin, she's a PhD doctorate in nursing and all that, scholar from England. I walked into her office, she had already heard about the kerfuffle that was going on because I demanded that all of the students walk off. And they depended on us because it was an apprenticeship type of service that we provided before nurses had degrees and all that. And I walked off and the nurses walked off except for one when I walked into her office thinking okay this woman is my cousin it's all good she says get out of my office (laughs) get out of my office then I heard my mom saying somebody from the ministry says to her you better talk to your daughter because somebody's going to poison her and (laughs) It just escalated from there. But here's the thing, they had to reinstate her. Today, she's a big nurse right here in Canada. But it costed me and those who went along with me. Leadership, when you take up the mantle and say yes to leadership, it will cost you. It will cost you to say no to injustice and to do what is right and people will skew all they want about you as long as you know you're doing what is right in God's sight you should do it because at the end of the day it is God that you seek to please destiny calls you you don't choose it it just calls you And here's the thing, I never desired the leadership of the Nurses Association. But while other people are studying for exam, I'm sitting in a little mini library in the classroom and I'm discovering books that has to do with plays and drama written by Trinidadian playwrights. And I'm getting excited. I'm like, this is great. Why can't we do this? And so my husband will tell you, We'd just put on one event after another doing drama and music and dance. And people say, wow, we've never done this before. Why don't you be our president? That's, how it just, that's just how it happened. Sometimes you're in a space where you're just having fun and a mantle is put on you. Moses was out there with enjoying his family life and his looking after sheep. And the mantle is put on him. And I'm sure along the way, Moses is like, man, I'm so, I'm so sorry I took this mantle up. It's not worth it. Moses, did you know that millennials down the road, we will be looking to you to inspire our leadership, to inspire our life? And as we look back at all those who have taken up their mantle throughout history, some of them you see today in the history of Canada. A woman goes to the theater, she just wants to sit where she thinks she deserves to sit. In the main part of the movie theater. She said, I will pay extra if I have to, to sit here. I don't want to be in the balcony They say, you can't sit here, ma'am. I cannot sell you a main floor ticket. Viola Desmond. She tried. They refused, so she sits in the main floor, and the police was called. She was charged and sent to jail for a night. Her charges stayed with her until 2017 or 18. And then she lands on the $10 bill. Here's the thing about destiny. All the people who stood their ground and stood for what is just and what is right never planned to be on any $10 bill. That was not their desire or their intention. When Rosa Parks decided on that day after being so fatigued that she will not get up and sit at the back of the bus, She had no intention to have her name go up in history and in all the ways that we celebrate and mark her life today. MLK Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King, he went to seminary. He was just busy writing the most amazing papers that you can imagine. He should take some time and write and read his stuff. Nobody that young should have such a brilliant mind. And all he was doing is just propelling himself to become the best pastor ever. He shows up at this amazing church. He just wanted to be, you know, your regular pastor with your pastor's wife and the little children, doing God's business. And then the height of the civil, Rosa Parks, (laughs) Montgomery, and all the stuff that was going on, they said, we need you to lead us. You're the right man for the hour. He considered it. He never thought he would lose his life doing it until later on when the attacks became more vicious and vile. And in one of his great speeches, he said, I've seen the promised land because he had already made up his mind that for him to live his Christ and to die was gain. He never knew that there would be monuments in his honor, that there would be museums built in his honor, that there would be holidays, public holiday in his honor to celebrate his birth by presidents and commoners alike. He didn't set out so that his names will go up in lights, but he obeyed the call of God, his destiny to break the shackles of racism in America and cause some victory for the people who was not. Here's what I want to remind us today in this this short message. Is that you serve a God that knows all your impediments and weaknesses, and yet He calls you? You serve a God that sees your shame and your past, the blood on your hands, and yet He calls you and sanctifies you and asks you to come and be his servant don't you just love that you serve a god that when parents discount you when friends assail you and others reject you this god says come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden i will give you rest you may not know why this is your moment now to come and serve jesus but maybe generations to come will be speaking your name. I remember when George Floyd died, I felt hope rising inside of me. I remember the message I brought that Sunday. It was Easter. Except a seed, fall to the ground and die. It will not come to life. And I said in that message, something good is going to come out of this death. Here we are in America before Congress trying to pledge their way through a George Floyd justice act. Lives are never wasted that are given to Jesus. Purpose is never lost to those who find their purpose in Christ. I want to invite you today to take up the mantle. I cannot tell you what God is calling you to do. Only you alone know. But I believe that we have a God that will not sleep or slumber. You're not here by accident today. God has called you to something great, to something big. To take up the mantle is to build a better community. We need to begin to build bridges in our relationships, not continuously agitate and build walls. We have to own our calling in Christ Jesus. We must believe that we can overcome, not just someday, but today and any day. If we listen to a lot of popular preaching today and the lifestyle of many religious leaders, we might be tempted to think that our calling and destiny are going to be glamorous, prosperous, and easy. Now, yesterday was not easy for those who went before, ahead of us. You will be okay in all that you may have to do to proclaim God's will for your life. But God wants to transform us, church, individuals, from a scarcity mentality to an abundance mentality, to dream bigger, to try harder to dig deeper. And guess what? You're not alone in it. God promises you that he'll be right alongside the journey with you. David was but a youth when he committed and was commissioned to set his people free from the Philistines. He was on lunch duty that day. He didn't plan it. It was a fateful day. He saw the armies of his people cower in fear as the giant warrior Goliath rumble and roar threats against God's armies. David has no battle experience, no military training, no weapons, no designation. He was a simple shepherd boy at the time. But what David had, though, was a conviction that something had to be done. And as he realized that every one of God's armies were standing in fear, refusing to take up the challenge of Goliath, he set aside his food delivery. He says, man, who is this? that defiles God's army. I'll take him on. They said, go home, boy. Go home, boy. This is not for boys. This is for men. But David had a fight inside of him. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? That taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In the middle of a national crisis, God chooses a young lad. Some average that he'd be somewhere between 13 and 15 at the time. In a moment when Israel was paralyzed with fear, David presented a solution that would free the nation from a paralytic grip of the enemy in a moment when uncertainty plagued Israel. God raised up David to lead the nation out of purpose. Paralysis, you know. Sometimes as church, we lose our purpose and we become paralyzed. Vance Jackson, I'm going to close with this devotional. Based on the book, Goliath, Born for the Moment, encourages his readers to ask the question, what has your, what has your God-given purpose bound What has your God-given purpose bound? Your gifts, wisdom, experience, and insight weren't meant to stay dormant. You weren't meant to stay hidden. God has given you skills, gifts, talents, and abilities that were meant to lead and inspire generations. God has planted gifts inside of you. That were meant to be used to set others free. Praise team, when you're singing up here, you're not singing for yourself. You're setting people people free from bondage. You're lifting up people who are sitting at home broken hearted and sad. You can inspire others, you know. I'm telling you, music is powerful. I came to the Lord because of music. The other day I was in my kitchen and I had pain from head to toe. And I was just feeling really messed up. And I came downstairs and the TV was on. I turned it off and I said, Google, play hymns. I got Google all over the house. Google, play hymns. Google started up some hymns. And I tell you, I don't know where the pain went. But as I worshiped God in that kitchen with Google, the pain just disappeared. And whatever I came downstairs feeling vanished. So by the time Wednesday night came around for prayer meeting and I asked everybody, how are you feeling tonight? And everybody was saying, I got pain here, pain everywhere. I started my day like that. But in a moment of worship, God just lifted me. Oh, his love lifted me. Let God use you. Let God lead you to set others free Free from the tyranny of fear, free from every stronghold, free from the paralytic grip of the enemy. It's time to pour out everything that God has poured in you. Would you stand with me? I'm just gonna ask a simple question. Do you believe that you're a person with purpose and destiny? Put up your hand. Are you a person with purpose and destiny? Do you embrace the fact that you're here for a reason? That you are special? that God can use you in profound ways to make a difference in your generation. Do you plan on being used of God for this time, this season, this moment, this century?